the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, um, we have um, who, who's the, the the major patriarch in the book of Genesis. There are three major patriarchs in Genesis, Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And we know, of course, the, the story of Abraham and how he talked with God and God gave him the promise. We know the whole story, right? Um, <clears throat> we want to focus on um, a character in, um, in the life of uh, our father Abraham. This character is the servant of Abraham, and his name is Eliezer of Damascus. Um, so just so we can get an idea of where we are in the story and where we are in the history of, uh, of the, uh, the story, at this point, this is in, in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's wife, Sarah, had died. And <clears throat> Abraham buried, of course, he loved his wife very much, and he buried her in the field of Ephron in Machpelah. This is mentioned in, uh, in the previous chapter in Genesis 23. <clears throat> and by the way, this field that he purchased to bury his wife is the only real estate that Abraham ever purchased in his entire life. You have a question? Why are you talking so many times? They have to bury them. Why? What does that mean? Like they put them in the, in the, in, in the cemetery? Why did they bury them? Just like, um, hmm? Yeah, so <clears throat> they, 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 they buried them because, first of all, we, we need to, you know, respect the dead. Okay, we don't just, like, leave them out there to, like, rot in the sun or anything like that. Um, and, of course, we, we bury them. Um, we, we will talk a, a little bit more about this. Just, Yanni, bear with me, okay? <clears throat> So Abraham, he was the richest man in the whole world, actually. <clears throat> but he never purchased any house or any city. He could have actually, he can afford to buy a whole city, okay? But he never did that because he understood that he lived as a sojourner, right? God asked him, and he said, come out of your, your town, your city, uh, or of, of the Chaldeans, and I will bring you into the desert, and Abraham actually followed God, and he left his family, he left his house, and he, left, <clears throat> he lived in the desert in a tent for all of his life. Even though, as we said, he was very rich and he can buy whatever he wanted, but he felt that he is a, a sojourner, he's a visitor. And so he needs to live as a visitor until he's awaiting for the eternal house which God promised him in heaven. Okay, so... Isaac, at this point, he was 37 years old, okay? When, when Sarah died, Sarah was 127 years old, and Sarah <clears throat> bore Isaac when she was 90 years old. So when she died, he was, 100, uh, he was 37 years old. But we notice that in the story here, Isaac was not married yet, even though he was 37 years old. Can you imagine somebody who's 37 and he's still not married, right? And if we think about, like, the character of Isaac, <clears throat> Isaac was very rich, right? His father is the richest man in the world, and so he's very rich. That means he's powerful, and he was very handsome, and his parents, of course, uh, mentioned that. And he was considered as a prince. Even in, in Genesis chapter 23, the, the, the people who lived around Isaac, 
Um, they called Abraham a mighty prince. Um, so we can imagine that, <clears throat> you know, all the girls who are living around Isaac, right, all of the girls of the tribal people, they would, you know, dream to be married to Isaac, right? He's a rich boy and he's um, famous and he's powerful and his father, you know, owns everything basically. Um, but we've noticed that he was not even looking, right? And we, we attribute this to the piousness of his parents. His parents brought him up that he doesn't look, okay? We can imagine actually most of the time in, in, in our day, uh, you know, in, in nowadays, when somebody is like the son of a rich and powerful parents, is that son or daughter usually leading a good life or they're leading a corrupt life? Most of the time they're leading a, leading a corrupt life because they have money, and they have power, they can do whatever they want, and they go out and cause trouble and they know that their parents will you know, take care of whatever problems that they do. But Isaac here, because his parents brought him up in, in, in a pious way, they taught him the ways of God, so he grew up like that. Okay, and he doesn't care about what's around him. He's focused on, he's focused on God, and he's waiting for the gift to be brought to him. Okay, <clears throat> and when did the gift, the bride, come to him? Um, <clears throat> we read that he was meditating, and actually, this is the first time in the Bible that we read about somebody meditating. <clears throat> and where did he learn this? Where do you think he learned this from? From his father, because Abraham. When we read the story of Abraham, he, he was walking with God, right? God was talking to him. So he learned to go out and think and, and wonder about God. And, and, and uh, the, you know, the, he, he had a special relationship with God. So his son learned that from him, and he learned to meditate like his father. <clears throat> and when his, when his bride was brought to him, he was meditating in, a, in an area called Bir Lahai Roy, which means the well of him who lives and sees me. So it's the place of God. This is the place actually that God appeared to Hagar. And so, can we keep the questions to the end? Okay. And so he was meditating on God, and so the gift came to him. So let's see, Yanni, what uh, this character that we want to talk about, Eliezer of Damascus. In verse 2 in chapter 24, so Abraham said to his oldest son, uh, to, to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. Um, this man, Eliezer, he was the most, he was Abraham's most faithful servant, and he was with him from, since the beginning. And until Isaac was born, he would have been the man who would inherit everything, because he was the heir. And so he loved Abraham very much, and he served Abraham unconditionally. Whatever Abraham wanted, he would do for him. And Eliezer was not of, of, the, of the family of Abraham, okay? He was not a Jew. Uh, of course, there were no Jews, but yeah, Abraham was the father of the Jews. So he was not of the family. He was a Gentile. He was outside. He was from Damascus. So he did not experience God firsthand like Abraham did, but he experienced God secondhand through Abraham. So he saw what Abraham was doing and how Abraham was talking to God and, and the life that he had. And so he believed in the God of Abraham through Abraham. Okay, and This is actually a lesson you know, to, to, to all of us that um, by our conduct and by the way that we live, other people can glorify God and they can uh, have a relationship with God.
So what did, uh, so Abraham told his servant, come and I'm going to make you promise something. So what did he tell him to do? He said, you are going to go back to my people, to the place where I left, and you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Okay, so let's just think about this like strange request, right? So Abraham is asking his servant <clears throat> to go back to the, to the place where Abraham used to live. And by the way, Abraham left at least 50 years ago. Okay, because, you know, Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He lived in Canaan for a while, and then he went down to Egypt, and then he came back, and then he went to uh, Gerar and came back. And by the way, those are the only two times that Abraham made a mistake, when he left the presence of God, and he went somewhere else. And he didn't ask God before he went. So the two mistakes in the, in the life of our father Abraham was when he left the place of God, and he went somewhere else. So Abraham left like many, many years ago, and it's a very long journey from Canaan all the way back to uh, Ur. He walked, yes, he walked all the way back. And we can imagine if somebody left 50 years ago, maybe people don't even know if he's still alive, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the people, Abraham's family, if somebody comes and says, I came from Abraham, I'm the servant of Abraham, they're going to say, Abraham? Who's Abraham? Where is Abraham? We haven't seen him in like 50 years. We don't, how do we even know that he's still alive? And on top of that, okay, suppose that, you know, he goes back to the city and the family of Abraham left, right? They're, they're not bound to keep living there for 50 years. They could have left. They could have went somewhere else. So now what is he going to do? He's going to go. He's going to, he's not going to find. Suppose he goes and he finds the, you know, the family still there and they believe that he's the servant of Abraham and everything like that, but they don't have any girls that are available. Like all the women in, in his family are married. So what is the guy gonna do, right? So we can imagine Yanni, the thoughts that, that are going through Eliezer's head as he's you know, making this promise. Now, the thing that he said here, um, Abraham, he told Eliezer, why do you have to go back? Because I don't want him to marry from the people who are among us, from the tribal people. He wants his son to marry from the family that knows God. But did they, like, was he not the only person that knew God from his family? Because God invited him. And he was yes, there. yes. But <clears throat> at least from the same, you know, group of people that grew that had some kind of connection with God. So... You know, Abraham was, was a descendant of Canaan, who was a descendant of Noah, okay? And so there was some relationship there. Abraham was really, Yanni, um, the closest to God, and that's why God chose him and he took him out. But even, even at this point, Abraham is like, at least we have to go back to the source, okay? The people that we live among, uh, that, that we live among them, they don't have that relationship with God. Even if my family has a very um, shallow relationship with God, at least when we say God, they know who we're talking about. And, and this actually brings us to, to a very important point, that when we uh, yani, are choosing um, a life partner, some you know, a husband or a wife, it's important that we find somebody who is of the same faith. 
who's of, of the same values, of the same morals. It's not enough that we say, you know, this person is a good person. Okay, that's fine, he's a good person. But that does, that's not enough. Here, I'm sure there were many good people that uh, lived among the tribes where Abraham lived. But Abraham was very keen that my son only marries from the same people that have the same values, that have the same morals, that were brought up the same way that I was brought. And this, this is why uh, it was very important for him to send his servant back to get a wife from there. So what is the strange request? The servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Okay, that's a very reasonable uh, assumption, okay? I'm gonna go and tell her, come and marry my master's son, and she's gonna say, I don't wanna go there. I don't know anybody there. So what should I do at that point? Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. This was like, uh, uh, you know, no negotiation there. Abraham is like, do not take my son back. Make sure that my son stays. And actually, if we think about it, like how can the servant choose? You know, Abraham, why don't you send Isaac? He's the one who's gonna marry, not me, right? <clears throat> and Abraham's like, no, Isaac stays. Um, but Abraham, people don't even know you anymore. You've been gone at least 50 years. Doesn't matter, Isaac stays. Okay, what about God's promise, right? God promised that, you know, he will make your descendants as the, as the, the, the stars of heaven and as the sand of the sea, right? This means that Isaac has to get married. And now you're putting a very you know, complicated condition. I have to go back and I have to find the bride from your family. And I have to bring her back and she has to agree to come back, right? And if she doesn't agree to come back, I cannot take Isaac over there. So how do we solve this? Like, how's Isaac gonna get married, right? And, and so Abraham is like, Isaac doesn't go back. Isaac stays. Isaac stays. You know, I, I think in Abraham's mind, he's like, if Isaac doesn't get married, that's God's problem, right? God said he's going to give him descendants, so God will solve that problem. But I'm not going to yeah, and he put my son in jeopardy by taking him back to the world. And here, this is the point, is what? Abraham left the world and came into the presence of God. And so his, his philosophy, his thinking is, we will never go back. Once we leave the world, we will never go back. Um, <clears throat> again, we take this you know, in, into our spiritual life. How do we act when we make you know, uh, a promise or we, make, you know, a, um, uh, we, we take a stand that we are going to leave the world and we're gonna live with God? Do we keep on faltering back and forth and we go back to the world and come back to God? Or do we stick you know, into the ground and say, I'm not going back, right? Isaac stays, no matter what, Isaac stays. Okay, doesn't matter, Isaac stays. So then, you know, Eliezer is thinking all these thoughts, right, in his head. And he's, you know, asking Abraham, what should I do and all of this. So finally, Abraham is like, listen, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, 
he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. Look at the faith here. He's not saying, maybe you will go, maybe you will find, maybe not. No, it's, it's like complete, like Abraham already saw it, okay? In front of Abraham, in his mind, through his faith, he already knows that a wife will come back. You will go, God will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there and bring her back. But he says, you know, eh, just yeah, you know, to, to, to make the, the servant a little bit relaxed. If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Okay. What's the reason he doesn't want Isaac to go back again? So the reason is he left the world. He's not going to go back to the world. He's going to continue living with God in the wilderness and his son living with God in the wilderness no matter what. He will never go back. And actually, we see this in the life of Isaac later, that he also didn't go back. And again, Isaac made the same mistake that his father made. He went down to Gerar and problems happened. Whenever Abraham or his sons and Jacob did the same thing, whenever they left the wilderness and went somewhere, problems happened. Whenever they came back, everything was okay. Yeah. So when they lived in the wilderness, so they left their money behind and they just went? They left everything behind, their house, their family, everything. And this is actually, yani, this is, this is the, the sign of faith. And actually, when, when, when God called Abraham to leave his house, he did not give him a map. Like he didn't say, you're going you're gonna to walk, you know, uh, 20 miles to the east, and then you're going to see a mountain, and you're going to go up the mountain. He didn't even tell him that. He said, Abraham, come out. So he knew where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He was just following God like blindly, like he was just, God said in the morning, keep walking. So he kept walking. And then maybe one day he said, stay here. So he stayed there. He didn't know where he was going. And this is actually, you know, blind faith that we follow God no matter what. We don't know where we're going and we follow God. This is why here Abraham is a man of faith. And that's why he's telling his, 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 um, his servant, I know that God will prosper your way. I know. The God who took me from my father's house and did all of these good things to me, I know that he will, um, he will make everything um, go as planned. <clears throat> I have a question. If, if he went back, okay, and he had problems, but then he went out, how, did, how was he okay? Like, because God protected him and he came back. Um, okay. <clears throat> so... This is faith that's based on experience. Thank you for that question. Because through his experience with God, he knew he knows that God is going to protect him. As long as he does what? He stays there. As long as he listens to God and obeys God. So <clears throat> this is why he was able to tell his servant, I know that God will send us his angel and his angel will prosper your way. God who took me and saved me and blessed me, he will fulfill the promise. So Again, we apply this to ourselves. Do we say the same thing? You know, God who did this and this and this and this, he will bring me to heaven. He will fulfill his promise. Or do we falter and say, maybe, maybe not. No. Right? We have to have faith that the God who takes care of us, he's going to be with us uh, the whole way. So, <clears throat> again, if we, if we think about, you know, this, the strange request and What's going on in the mind of the servant here, Eliezer? Okay. 
this is a very complicated request, right? Would any of you agree to do this? I wouldn't, right? Eliezer is going, you know, Abraham is very rich, right? But Eliezer is not going to buy something. If he was, if he was going to go buy something, okay, it, it's solved. With the money, he can buy it. But he's dealing with a human being now, right? <clears throat> The money is not gonna it's not gonna save him. It's not it's not a matter of money. Okay? If we if we think about this, like you know, which crazy girl would agree to leave her father's house, go with a strange man, an old man who just came out of the desert from nowhere, and 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 be married to somebody she never met. Even today, when we know the person, we still think this is crazy, right? So Yani. Logically, how can this even make any sense, right? <clears throat> and when when Eliezer, who's by the way not from the land, right? We said that he's a stranger. So when he goes and tries to speak to the people, who's even going to speak with him? Like, why would they even talk to him? Why would they even listen to him? <clears throat> and if he miraculously finds this girl, and she refuses to come back, right? Actually, again, this this is all logical, Yani. Maybe he will go and he will find and he will talk and she even agrees to marry, but she's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to leave my father's house. I'm not going to go with you somewhere I've never been before. So this is why, you know, Abraham's uh, advice to his uh, servant is, I know this is difficult. I know you don't understand this. Just go do your part and God will do the rest. And that's why he told him, I know that you will bring a wife. And if she doesn't want to come, OK, you're released. But I know she's going to come. Just go. So now we can imagine uh, Eliezer took a caravan with him. He took 10 camels. And of course, on every camel, there's a rider. So there's at least 10 people with him. And they, they left. They walked through the desert, a very long walk, maybe weeks or maybe even months to get to, uh, to, get to Ur. And then finally, he got to the city. Okay, so as soon as he entered the city, what did he do? He made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, <clears throat> the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. What did he do? Pray. He prayed. He prayed. The first thing that he did is he prayed. And where did he learn this from? from Abraham, from his master. So the first thing he did, he went to the, by the, by the city, he, he, made, he, he made his camels kneel, and then he started to pray. And he said, what? God of my father, or my master Abraham. Until this day, there are some churches that complain or, or debate about the intercessions of the saints. This is in Genesis chapter 24, at the beginning of, you know, of, at the beginning of history. At the beginning of history, we see the intercessions of the saints, that Eliezer is standing and praying to God, and he's saying, through the intercessions or through the prayers of Abraham. You know the, the hymn that we sing through the intercessions of the Theotokos? Abraham said it like thousands of years ago, not Abraham, uh, Eliezer. Okay, so through the intercessions or through the prayers or for the sake of my master Abraham, please God prosper my way. <clears throat> And then what? Look how he continued prayer. 
Behold, here I stand by the well of water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He complicated the, the yani, it was already a problem and he made it even worse, right? Again, let, let's just imagine <clears throat> we, there's an old man sitting by the, by the well and, you know, a girl's coming and she's getting water, okay? And then he tells her, give me water. First of all, if she answers him, this will be good, right? Because most of the time she'll probably run away from him, right? Why would she speak to a stranger? You remember in the, in the story of, of the uh, Samaritan woman, <clears throat> when the disciples came back, they were marveling that he talked to a woman. Not even just because she's a Samaritan woman, but just a woman in general. Why is he talking to her? So here you have an old man talking to a young girl, and she's, she's going to have a conversation with him. Okay. And then he's going to ask her to, to give him some water. If she is like a good person, she'll say, okay, here's some water. Okay, no, he's saying not only she has to give me water, but she of her own will will do what? Will water the camels. <laughs> Actually, we read this passage, but if we take a moment to think about it, this, this is crazy, right? How many camels does he have? Ten. When a camel comes out of the desert... You know, the, the camels can hold their water throughout the desert. But once they come out of the desert, they're like thirsty, right? Yeah. How long do you think it would take to water 10 camels? How long? Yeah, like at least an hour. At least an hour. You know, by the time she draws water, and you know, it's not like they have a pump that, you know, she has to, you know, put the water pot, bring it up. And then there's like a trough. She empties the, the her, her jug in the trough. By the time she empties the jug, the camels already drank the water. Right. So she has to go and get some water again. So this is going to take at least an hour for her to water the camels. So why is he putting this condition? Yani, is it like a magic trick? No. It's a sign. It's a sign. This this girl will be married to who? Isaac. Who? Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were very generous people. We know the stories when, whenever, you know, Abraham would stand there and he would wait for strangers to pass by his tent and he would not eat until he takes the strangers and makes them like a banquet and he, and they eat and he serves them, then he would eat. So the person who has to marry into this family has to have the same characteristics, has to have the same virtues. Otherwise the house will be broken. Every time Isaac wants to do something good, then his wife is like, hey, watch out. We need to you know, save the money and stuff like that. No, here he's looking for somebody who's compatible to, um, to, to the bridegroom. Um, <clears throat> as as uh, King Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, who can find the virtuous wife for her worth is far above ru rubies. This is what um, Eliezer was looking for. He was looking for a virtuous wife was going to be compatible with his master Isaac. And th th this is a big difference between, you know, sometimes people say, okay, you know, I'm going to put a sign, um, you know, if, if I see a girl in church, she's wearing green, then she must be, you know, she must be the one, 
It, it doesn't work that way. It's not like a magic trick. Okay, here, this is a sign that has a meaning. It's a sign that's a spiritual sign. I want to find somebody who's compatible with my master, that when they live together, they're going to be yani, able to, to, to coexist and to serve together. <clears throat> now, it happened, look at this, before he had finished speaking, before he had finished praying, okay, not like two days later, like Yadobak, he just finished praying that behold, Rebekah, <clears throat> who was born to Bethuel, son of Melchah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Rebekah is Isaac's first cousin. So Eliezer did not finish prayer, and the first girl that comes up is who? Isaac's first cousin. Yani, <laughs> he, he probably was expecting he's going to stand there for days. You know, asking every girl that comes over, you know, uh, give me a water and stuff like that. But the very first person that comes is a relative of, of Isaac. And this is the power of prayer. That he did not even finish the prayer, and the prayer was answered. That the first person that he meets is a relative of Abraham. <clears throat> so what happened? And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. I'm thirsty. Can, can you please give me just a little bit of water? So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. This is a person who's serving with diligence and with joy, right? She's not being compelled to serve. She, out of her own free will, offered, drink my Lord and take your time. There's no rush, rest, and I will take care of your camels. And she quickly ran and she served the man and she served the camels. She's serving with diligence and she wants to perfect her service. It's not like halfway, like, okay, you drank, I'll give a little bit of water to the camels, I want to go home, right? Imagine, this is at least taking an hour, if not more, that she's standing there watering animals. <clears throat> so what is the symbolism here? Isaac is a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know this very well from many, many of the symbols and the story of Isaac being offered on, on the altar and all of that. And Rebecca represents the church. And Eliezer represents the servants, all of us. So what is the role of the servant here? Is that he brings people to the Lord according to the characteristics of the Lord. Again, the role of all of us as servants, and I don't mean servants as in just Sunday school servants, but we are all servants. Our role is to bring people to Christ according to what Christ wants, not according to what we want, not according to what the people want, but according to what Christ is looking for. Christ is looking for virtues. So we bring people to the Lord who are living in these virtues, who are trying to live in virtues. The Lord Christ is looking for love. So we bring people who have love. This is what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
We as servants, our role is to bring people to God according to the characteristics that God is looking for. Let's go back to the story here. <clears throat> so what happened after she finished watering um, the, uh, the camels? The man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Melchah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. The reward that he gave her, the, um, the, the nose ring and the, and the bracelets, by today's standards, by, by today's uh, you know, conversion, this is equal to $5,250. This is the most expensive cup of water in the history of mankind. Okay? All she did is give him some water, and he gave her all of these gifts. By the way, when did he give her the gifts? Before or after he asked who is she? After. Before. Before. <clears throat> Why? Because the reward is for the service, regardless of who you are. If she said, I don't, I've never heard of Abraham, he wasn't going to take the gift back. This is a gift because of the service that you have done. And the gift is very large compared to the service that she did, right? But this gives us an idea that God is very generous. We do something very small, and God rewards us with, with very lavish gifts. And we ask God, I didn't do anything. All I did is just something very small. And he says, I will reward you for that small thing. By the way, God doesn't need us to do anything. God can take care of everything by himself. As a matter of fact, most of the time when we are trying to, to do stuff, we're like in, in his way, right? We're like messing up stuff for him. Like he knows how to do everything perfectly. And we say, okay, God, I want to serve. Okay, my son serve. And we go and like mess stuff up. And then he has to clean up our mess, right? God can do everything by himself, but he wants us to serve. He wants us to do something. You think that when we stand up and pray that this prayer really is like, you know, compared to like, when Jesus was praying, you think our prayer is anything? No, but he says, please pray and I will reward you for the small prayer. Even though you don't know how to pray, even though you don't know how to fast, even though like you, you kind of mess up everything that you do, but I want you to serve and I will reward you for the service. <clears throat> Whose daughter are you? This is a very important question. Whose daughter are you? And we take this question to ourselves when, when God asks us, whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? The Lord said to the, to the Jews, if you are Abraham's children, you will do the works of Abraham. If you are Christ's children, you will do the works of Christ. Christ. Whose daughter are you? Whose son are you? Here the question is, I see that you're very giving. I see that you're very, uh, you know, you have a, a, a serving heart. Where did this come from? Whose daughter are you? I am the daughter of God. I'm the daughter of Christ. That's why I'm doing the service. When he heard, when he asked, whose daughter are you? She said, I am so-and-so-and-so, -and -so, the son of so-and-so who she bore to Nahur. He heard the word Nahur. He's like, that's it. We got it, right? We came to the land. We found the girl. Now there's only one condition left, which is what? Is she going to go back with me? Is she going to go back with me? So let's see. <clears throat> so she told him, he asked her, do you have room? And she said, yes, we have room. This is also a further indication of, his, of her service. 
that she wants to, she has no problem taking in strangers and, and caring for them. We have both straw and feet enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. So as we said, this is a further sign of generosity. And Abraham here, he worshiped. Where did he learn this from? Again, Abraham. He learned it from Abraham. And here, notice the humility. It's not because of my prayers. It's because of what? My master Abraham. Actually, if, if, if he said, thank you, God, for you have heard my prayers, we would say, that's fine. But even here, in his humility, he's like, it wasn't because of my prayer. It was because of my master Abraham that God listened to me. <clears throat> so they took him to the house, and they put food in front of him, right? He came out of the desert. He's been walking for weeks or maybe months. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. They took him in. They gave him food. Food was set before him to eat, and he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. Allah, eat first. He's hungry and thirsty and tired. Like, can't this wait? No, this cannot wait. Why? Because this is the service. This is my mission. I don't care about the food. I care that I complete my mission. And he said, he, he here is, is the, the brother of uh, Rachel, uh, Rebecca. Uh, and he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. So the first thing is the service is the goal, not the food. I'm going to fulfill my mission. And then after that, we can do whatever we want. Just like the Lord Christ, he said what? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his works. When we like get together in a gathering, a birthday party or anything, are we more focused on like the food and the drink or are we, are we focused on the word of God? The word of God. That's what we should be. <laughs> yes, that's what we should be focused on, right? And then here, the faithfulness in the service. I am Abraham's servant. This is what he started his speech with. I am Christ's servant. Identify yourself with the Lord Christ. And he says what? My master. He repeated it many times. My master. Actually, Abraham's not even there, right? But he honors his master even in his absence. And this, يعني, it, it makes me wonder how, like, some of the churches, um, the, uh, typically Protestant churches or non-denominational or whatever, they don't even say the Lord Christ. They just say, like, Jesus. Jesus. Who's Jesus? Jesus, uh, he was playing with us or something. No, we need to respect the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Christ. <clears throat> so he said, now, if you will kindly, if you'll deal kindly and truly with my master. So he told them the story. I skipped the part just for the for the sake of time. He told them, you know, this is what Abraham did. And he asked me to come and all of this. And I prayed and the girl did this and all of that. He, he said the whole story. So he said, now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me. 
Okay, if you're going to fulfill, you know, this this uh, this request, great. If not, just tell me, okay? okay, that I may turn to the right or to the left, so I know what to do. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard the, their words that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. So the first part, I did my service. Tell me whether you accept it or not. I'm not going to argue and dispute and, and debate with you. Okay, just tell me. Do you accept it or not accept it? My, my mission is not to convince you. And this is actually very important in, in any kind of service that we do. Our mission is not to change hearts. Our mission is not to, you know, make people believe. Our mission is not to make people Christians. Our mission is to deliver the message. And what happens after that, this is up to God. And we don't need to, like, argue and debate and try to convince people. No. Here's the word of God. I hope you will receive it. If you don't receive it, that's up to you. Okay? Because a lot of people get into this debate with people, trying to convince them. And actually, you will never be able to convince somebody. Because it's not a, it's not a matter of the mind, it's a matter of the heart. If God doesn't touch the heart, the person will never believe. You cannot convince anybody logically about Christianity or about the Lord Christ. They have to believe, they have to want it. And actually, this is exactly what the Lord Christ did in John chapter 6 when he talked about that unless you eat the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And the people said, what? This is a difficult thing. Who is able to hear this? Who is able to bear this? And it actually says, and from that point on, many of his disciples stopped walking with him. So the Lord had many disciples, aside from the 12. There were others who were walking with him and following him. And after that incident, many of those people, they stopped following the Lord. And what did the Lord say? Hey, come back. No, no, let's, let's talk about this. Let me explain it to you. No. He looked to the 12 and he told them what? Do you also want to go away? Do you want to go away? If you want to go away, go ahead. I'm not going to compromise the dogma. I'm not going to compromise. This is something non-negotiable. I'm not going to debate with you. I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm not going to argue with you. This is the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. You want to go, you can go. I'm not going to stop you. So here, this is exactly what he did. Tell me. If you accept the message, tell me. If you don't accept the message, tell me. I'm okay. And then he worshipped. This is the third time that he worshipped. And he worshipped here before men. So the first time he worshipped, you know, by himself when he prayed. The second time he worshipped in front of uh, Rebecca. The third time here, he's in the household. He worshipped in front of everybody. Because he's not worried about the people. He is worried about God. He's thanking God. He's worshipping God. He's testifying uh, God before men. So they, they slept and they woke up the next day. So, of course, we know the story that Rebecca accepted to marry or his, his, her brother and her father said, this is from God. We cannot stand against it. So they went to sleep and then they rose the next morning. And he said, send me away to my master. I want to go back. This is actually a very important verse. Send, send me away to my master. I want to go back home. I want to. Again, Abraham told Eliezer, don't take my son away. Eliezer understood 
that that place is a holy place. That's in the presence of God. So he was sent to do a mission and he wants to like finish the mission and go back. He doesn't want to stay there. He doesn't care about the hospitality. He doesn't care about the food. He doesn't care about anything. Send me back to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. You're going to take her away. We're never going to see her again. We don't even know where this Canaan is. At least let her stay like a few days, like 10 days. After that, she may go. And he said to them, and this is very important, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Do not hinder me. This actually happens a lot. We try to do something and people hinder us. Stay some more. Do this. Do that. No. Do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. I want to go back. I want to go back to the Lord. I want to go to church. And we find people, or not people, situations arise and try to hinder us. I want to serve. We find people getting in the way of our service. I want to worship God. I want to stand up and pray. Oh, we find like a million things to try to hinder us from um, from praying and worshiping God. Do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. St. Paul says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. This is what Eliezer was saying here, send me back to my master. I want to go back to my, I want to go home. And here again, we notice that even though Eliezer was not of the family of Abraham and he was not a Jew and he was a foreigner and he was a Gentile, but he he um, had a relationship with the Lord through Abraham. And now he believes in, in, in the God of Abraham and he wants to go back to that holy place. He doesn't want to stay outside. <clears throat> So finally, <clears throat> then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Actually, yani, uh, <laughs> well, when you read this, and, and we've been following this story step by step, I, the first time I read it, I thought Rebecca would say, yeah, I want to stay, you know, a few days with mama, you know, and say goodbye to my brothers and my friends. No. Will you go with this man? I will go. That easy? That simple? Yes. This is why Abraham, when he told his servant, he said, you shall bring a wife for my son. He already saw it. He knew it. He said, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. I already know. I saw it. So Rebecca leaves everything behind to go to Christ, uh, to, to go to Isaac. Who did that? Remember, we talked about that. Who did that at the beginning? Abraham, right? Abraham, God told him, come out. And he said, yes, Lord. And he left everything. He doesn't know where he's going and he's following the Lord. This is why Rebecca was the best bride and the most compatible bride for his son, because she had the same faith as Abraham. She followed the Lord as Abraham. She went out and left everything behind just like Abraham and she was not looking for anything. By faith, she knew that she was going to a, 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 a better place, that she was actually going to meet, you know, the, the, the foreshadow of the Lord Christ. And glory be to God forever, amen. Are there any more questions? So her brother is leaving? 
Yes. Is that the same Laban that messes with Jacob? Yes. Okay. Um, so actually, <clears throat> we know the story when Jacob goes back and, and he, he lives with Laban. We see how ungodly Laban is. And this this brings us back somebody here. I don't remember who. I, I think you, you asked, like, Abraham was, was the best. Yes, this is true. Because we see that the rest of his family were not as godly as Abraham. But yet Abraham chose to choose from his family, you know, believing that at least something good will come out of that rather than to, to try to choose from people he, he doesn't know where their origin is. When Abraham did who know that they were leaving like his family yeah yeah they knew because he left them and he said bye i'm, I'm leaving they're like abraham where are you going i don't know what do you mean you don't know well god told me to leave then go where i don't know are you okay abraham <laughs> yeah yeah I believe God. He told me to come out, and he didn't tell me where I'm going to go, but he told me to come out, and I'm going to follow God. Yes? Um, Abraham did not leave. He sent his servant to go find a bride for his son, but Abraham himself didn't leave. Did you have another question? Yes. Um, we were listening in the car on the way, so I heard you, you were the part about you saying that we have to present people to God with the characteristics that He's looking for. Yeah. Could you just explain, like, expand a little bit on what you mean? Because, like, from the other perspective, God just like wants everybody to like. Come. Yeah. Of course, God wants everybody to come, and God accepts everybody, <clears throat> but also God has boundaries. So, what does this mean? God knows that we are all sinners and we all fall under sin. He's not expecting that we are angels. He's not expecting that we are saints. But he's expecting that we are struggling. Okay? So even though I'm bringing somebody to God, and this person is a sinner because we're all sinners, the characteristic here is love and repentance and wanting to be with God. But if I'm bringing somebody to God who does not want to, this, by the way, doesn't mean that we can't try to bring people. But it means that the people that yani, what we are what we are entrusted to do is to equip those people to be compatible with God. So God loves the sinners, but he hates the sin. That's a boundary. Okay. God will accept me as a sinner, but he will not accept that I you know continue in my sin and I refuse to repent and I reject God. So this is the meaning that. We are to bring people to God according to the characteristics of God, according to what God is expecting. It doesn't, what it means is I cannot just say, yeah, come to God and continue to sin. No, come to God. You are a sinner. I know we're all sinners. Try to repent, try to, to confess, try to fix your ways, but come to God. There's a big difference between the two. When you said that you found a man by the well and then the uh, lady came, mm -hmm. and then she fed the camels. camels, how do you feed the camels if there was the only man? If there was only the man? No, there's like a big trough, like a big um, uh, container, 
and she puts the water in it, and then the camels drink from. You know, it's like, if there was only the man, mm -hmm. and she came and saw him, where was the camels that time? They were with him, so he had ten camels, <clears throat> and he had probably ten men with him that were riding on the camels as well. So, but the, he is the main character. So we, you know, we're speaking about him, but of course there's other men with him and the camels are with them and things like that. So they were back at the desert well, she was going to get water? No, they were all sitting by the well. Oh. Like you can imagine there's a well and there's like 10 camels and people standing well, there. Were they waiting for her or did she just came? He was waiting for her. Remember, he prayed to God. And he said, God, let the woman come and I'll ask her for water. So he was waiting. Okay. All right. Oh, we have more time? I, I thought we were done. <laughs> hmm? It's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Don't close it. Okay, don't close it. <laughs> Do you have any other questions? <laughs> yeah, the camels already drank and they went to bed and everything is good. Wait, but if it took two weeks from them, like throughout the desert or one month, how did they survive without food or water? Well, the the men had a little bit of water, but the camels don't have to drink water during during the desert. So they 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 can retain water. And they can walk through the desert until they get to water, then they can drink some more water. That's why camels are good to have in the desert. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so actually, so since we have a little bit of, of time left, we can continue the story just a little bit. Or a quiz. Quiz? <laughs> when when they went back when they went back to um, to Canaan, um Rebecca saw Isaac, right? And we, we said, what was Isaac doing at that time? If you remember at the very beginning, meditating. he was meditating, okay? And she recognized Isaac right away, okay? She knew, I mean, when she asked the servant, who is this? And he said, this is my master. So there's only like two masters. It's either Abraham or Isaac. Abraham is an old man. She's not gonna marry an old man. So she's gonna marry Isaac. And then it, it says that Isaac took her and brought her into his mother's tent. And she was a comfort, a source of comfort for Isaac the rest of his life. And there's, there's, there's something nice there. As we said, <clears throat> that Isaac represents Christ. And Sarah's tent here represents the church. And so Isaac took his bride and the first place he took her is where? The church. And that's why they, basically they lived happily ever after, because their union was, was united where? In the church. Where? Well, that's what I just said. Okay. Um, and Rebecca, yeah, as, as, as we, we see in the, in, the, in the rest of the story, you know, she was, she was very kind. She was very giving. She was very um, gracious and have a good serving heart. And we see that also... In the rest of the story of Isaac, later after Abraham died, Isaac started to um, um, dig uh, wells. And every time he would dig a well, 
the people are, uh, from the land, they would come and they say what? This well is ours. And who just dug it? Isaac and his men. They, they know that this is their well. What does Isaac do? He says, fine, take it. And then he goes and digs another well. And the people come and say, this is our well. He says, fine, take it. And he goes and digs another well. And he does that so many times. And this tells us the, the character of Isaac is that he's a peaceful man. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't, you want, you want the well, take the well. You want the land, take the land. Again, this, this gives us the idea. He learned all of this from his father and his mother, that none of this matters. The land doesn't matter. The wealth doesn't matter. The cities don't matter. And again, this is why we go back and say, the only piece of land that Abraham bought was what? The burial place. This is the only thing that I need in this world. This is the thing that's going to make me go to heaven. That's going to make me go to God. And by the way, um, <clears throat> this is the same burial place that Abraham was buried and Sarah was buried and Isaac was buried and the whole family was buried. And maybe you, you might think, what's, what's so important? Even Jacob, when Jacob, you know, you know the story of Jacob and he went to Egypt with his son Joseph and all that. Before he died, he told his son what? Make sure that you bury me in the, you know, the tomb of my fathers. Why is this so important? And actually, by the way, you know, for, for Joseph to leave Egypt, and Joseph was the second man in Egypt at that point. For Joseph to leave Egypt and go back to Canaan, this is not an easy thing. Joseph is like the king. Do you ever see like the king just walk out into the desert by himself? No. In order for Joseph to go back to Canaan, he has to take an army with him. And this army are going to carry the, the coffin of his father. And they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a big thing. And they're leaving Egypt undefended. And so, you know, why was this important? Because they felt that they want to be together. Why do they want to be together? Because they believed in the resurrection. <clears throat> and in the resurrection, when God is going to resurrect them, they want to be together. They want to rise together. This is why it was very important for them to be buried together. Because people think, what's the big deal? They could be buried anywhere. It's not a big deal. But this, this gives us the insight of their faith. That even before the first coming, they believed in the second coming. Even before, you know, they knew, they, you know, and this is what St. Paul talked about, that they did not... Um, understand the promises but they saw them from far away so with their prophetic vision they saw the resurrection they saw the second coming and so they're like i believe in this and i'm going to prepare myself for this before it happens back to question from the chat the first question can we call this an arranged marriage yes <laughs> it's it's arranged in the sense that God arranged it. Yeah, I guess that God but it's not chosen by human beings. Huh? Like by the definition of arranged marriage, like the, the two are getting married, they have no say. But they both have like a say in the, in the matter. Like they even asked Rebecca. Like, they, uh, yes, so they did ask Rebecca and she agreed. Or at least they asked the parents mm -hmm. and the parents agreed. And and actually in the story they they did ask Rebecca. Um, so, yeah, it's arranged by God, and it was, you know, Abraham was trying to arrange it, but there, there was some dialogue there. And actually, even if, even when she said yes, when they asked her, would you go back with the men, she could have said no, and then it would have been, 
you know, over. We just come back back. And with Isaac, like, uh, said no, like, <laughs> we'll send her back. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, the second question. And where did the courage and faith of Rebecca come from to leave her family and travel to marry a man she does not know at all? Yeah. So this is again, uh, you know, it it shows us, you know, the faith of of Rebecca. She must have understood that, you know, she's seen all of these things and, and she saw the signs, basically, that a man comes out from nowhere and he prays to God and she doesn't know what he prayed about or anything. And he didn't tell her. Okay. And then he prays to God asking for a very specific sign. That is very strange that mostly nobody would agree to and she of her own free will without anybody prompting her she fulfills the request that was in the prayer right to the point that and, and as we said like laban he was not a very holy man he was not a very godly man but even laban said this thing is from god and rebecca as we see in in the story she's a, a lot more closer to god than than laban so Obviously, this is where the courage came from, and this is where the, um, <clears throat> you know, she was able to make that decision because she saw the signs, she had faith. Again, that very last verse, will you go with this man? I will go. This is actually very, very powerful that somebody would say, yes, I will go. I don't know where I'm going. They, they don't even know where Canaan is. Like, if, if she changed her mind, she doesn't know how to go back. Right. So then, how can she trust him that um, she kn he knows where he's going? Because she's trusting in God, because she saw the power of God, and she knows that all of this was arranged by God. So this is where the faith comes from. Because any anybody else would have said, no, I, this, this, this is very strange, I'm not going to accept this. But through her faith, she was able to accept uh, the message of God. So basically, she's like Abraham, when... When God told Abraham to leave, she basically she did the same. Exactly, exactly. This is this is why she is like Abraham, because she did exactly what Abraham did. God told Abraham come, and he said yes. And here Rebecca, um, Eliezer told her come, and she said yes. I will go. Okay. And that's going to be a lot of Mm -hmm. Your next word is going to be let us play. I think so. Is there any. No, that's your next word. Oh, I should say that? <laughs> Are we done, Mr. Sharif? Can we. Uh... <laughs> We're good? <laughs> we fulfilled the quota? <laughs> okay, let's stand up and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. Uh, Morat, can you pray for us? Thank you God, so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for this great night. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. Please, God, help us see your works in our lives. Help us serve you uh, because that's what you look for in a lot of us. And help us do your will diligently, Lord, out of our own desire and will because we love you not because we feel we're forced to do it um help us to walk by faith and not by sight and please god help us to 
learn how to meditate like Isaac and to take time and to enjoy all your wonderful gifts and this um, world you've allowed us to live in and to work in and for our own enjoyment and for our own benefit. Please, Lord, provide for others and help us provide for them and help us to remember all those who have no one to remember, Lord. Amen. Okay. Final Lord, through the intercessions of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Mark, St. Paul, and all the saints here, so Lord, when we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.